since I had the opportunity or privilege, and I'll be quite honest, the, the opportunity or privilege was delayed by me, not by anybody in the church saying, well, would you be available or that type of thing, and I'd turn it down. Uh, I was going through a few things myself, and uh, they kind of overpowered me, so I backed off a little bit, but I'm back. And uh, I really thank Glenn for the compliment about yesterday. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting topic because I've been in several Baptist churches and I've also been in Pentecostal churches. And the Baptists are more reticent to talk about the Holy Spirit than the, uh, the Pentecostals are. But it's the same God, regardless of what your denomination. I was raised Roman Catholic. The Holy Spirit is the same God that I had in Roman Catholicism as I now have as a member of Grace Missionary Baptist Church. And I accept the doctrine of Grace Missionary Baptist Church by virtue of the fact that it is the doctrine of the Bible. And there are certain aspects people will want to Argue with me, I don't argue Scripture. We can have a reasonable discussion. I think it's Isaiah that says, let us reason together. And then as long as it doesn't pertain to salvation, there's only one way for you to get to heaven. There's nothing in Scripture that says there's another way. And regardless of what all these people out there on television are telling you, that we're all worshiping the same God and we're all going to the same place, they are absolutely wrong. We get through to heaven by accepting Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, as our Lord and Savior, and, there, and what He did for us on the cross at Calvary. His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven assures that we have God's salvation and we have eternal life. And He made that so many times. I used to think, well, you know, it can't be this easy. Getting saved is not difficult. Walking down life's path is where we have the difficulty. And that's called sanctification. Some churches preach that sanctification is an event. You know, you're saved, you're baptized by the Holy Ghost, you're at that point in time, and then you're, you uh, are sanctified. The Holy Spirit was with you before you accepted Jesus Christ because that's His responsibility. When did we first run into the Holy Spirit? We run into Him in Genesis. In Genesis, we meet Him in line, I believe it's two, in, in, where it says, and His Spirit moved across the waters. What was He doing? He was preparing the world, to accept the words, the creative words of Jesus Christ in the finishing of creation. God the Creator, God the Father, created the heaven and the earth. Two places. 
And the Spirit moved upon the waters. The earth was void and the Spirit moved upon the waters. He was conditioning the world because land hadn't been formed yet. He was conditioning the world to accept the creative command of Jesus Christ. Guess what he was doing for each one of you before you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? He was conditioning you spiritually. He was going ahead and he was working with you. All those prayers from your relatives, all those prayers of churches for all the lost, they were coming to you through him. And it's based on him and your surrendering to the will of God and the power of the Holy Ghost that brought you to your knees and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, if he was already with you, is he going to go away? No. He's not going to go away. I used to think baptism of the Holy Spirit was essential. You get it. Peter even says that if you'll come to accept Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Ghost. So you have the Holy Ghost. Some of the things that we're going to be looking at today are the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Gifts can be given, gifts can be withdrawn. Then there's also the fruits of the Spirit. We'll talk a little about those today. But before we get started into that, I want to go ahead and talk about two services that we have recorded in Scripture. One happens to be in Luke. I don't have to go there. I'm just going to be describing this. You can read it later. Luke 24, 36 to 43. And the other one's going to be 50 days in the, in the, further down the road. But this service, we have the apostles, the disciples. They were in the upper room. They were afraid. They were trembling. The doors were locked. Why were they afraid and trembling? They had just seen their Lord and Savior crucified on Friday. They were concerned that the temple guards were going to come and get them. They were concerned that the Roman soldiers were going to come and get them. They were afraid. Now, bear in mind, these are the same men that Jesus had been working with for some three to three and a half years to take over the responsibility of growing the church. And their timidity prevented them from being able to accomplish the mission. Jesus comes in that night, and they're afraid. They don't know who he is. They don't know why he's there. And then he explains. He says, hey, it's me. Paraphrasing. And he showed them there his hands. And he showed them the side. Thomas wasn't there. So he wouldn't believe. And that was taken care of by Jesus later on. But their timidity is what I want you to see today. They had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. A separate event in that time in history. So Jesus came in. I can imagine how they would have been upset, concerned. They're standing in a room, they're afraid, and then all of a sudden they've got another person in the room and all the doors are locked. How'd that happen? 
I always love Jesus. He says, peace be with you. And then we go ahead and we're going to move forward to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to talk about this too, but we're going to read it. Now, during this period of time, Jesus came back 40 days, and he continued to instruct his disciples. The last real meeting that that they had was kind of like a fish fry on the beach. And that's where Peter was dealt with by Jesus. Peter had denied Jesus Christ three times. And Christ says, do you love me, to, to Peter three times. And the problem that we run into is we got one word for love in our language. The Greeks have at least two. They have love, and they have agape love. Now, when Peter was being asked the question, we go ahead and we look. Jesus is saying to Peter, basically, you denied me three times. Now you're going to be put to the test. Do you love me? Do do you agape me? Love me unconditionally. And Peter says, Lord, I love you like a brother. That's phileo love instead of agape love. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Agape. Lord, you know I love you. Phileo. Then it finally gets through. I guess Jesus found the right size two by four to get Peter's attention. Because then he goes ahead and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he uses phileo. If all you can do is love me as a brother, I'll take that at this point in time. And it dawns on Peter what he did and who he's talking to, and what the need is, and he understands now that Jesus Christ went to the cross so that he would not have to, but we know that Peter got crucified, but that he wouldn't have to face the punishment for his sin because Jesus Christ had taken it upon his own shoulders. And at that point in time, Peter comes back and says, Brother Jesus, I love you unconditionally. Peter was a hard man to get through to. I'm kind of bullheaded myself, so I can identify with that. But anyway, on the day of Pentecost, things are changed. They're in the same upper room. They got the same doors locked. But their attitude was different. Their approach was different. What they were hoping to expect was different, and they were not disappointed. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That's important. And suddenly there came a sound from the heavens as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And then, <clears throat> and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia, in Pontus, in Asia, in Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of the Arabian, of, uh, of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongue the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying unto another, What means this? Others mocked and said, These men are full of wine. What happened? The Holy Ghost came on the scene. That's what happened. God's promise came upon the scene. The very thing that, that John the Baptist had foretold in Matthew <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 11, happened that day. They were baptized by the Holy Ghost and with fire. It's simple. It's there. It's pure and plain. It's not difficult to understand. The power of God came upon each and every one of them, and they were infused by that power, and that power gave them courage. That, problem, that power gave them authority. That power gave them a desire to go and do what Jesus had told them to do. Go into all the nation preaching the gospel. They were no longer fear, fearful. They opened the doors, they opened the windows, and they were going ahead, and the people are seeing and hearing this come from the house. And they want to know what's going on. And because they were they didn't know. They were listening, and it sounds like a bunch of drunks. And Peter says, no. This is what Joel told you was going to happen in the last days. The Spirit will be outpoured upon your children. They're prophesying at that point in time. And Peter goes and he starts giving a sermon. It doesn't last all that long. But he's got everybody there saying, how can we get this? How can we have what it is that you're talking about? And he says, be baptized in Jesus Christ. Now, when I baptized people, I baptized them the way Christ said. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And there are still today theologians arguing what did he mean 
You can only be baptized in the name of Jesus. No, you got to be baptized this way. If you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you're baptized in what he did. Because in order to be able to go to baptism, you have to have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I much prefer the way Christ said it should be done. After all, if you love me, keep my commandments. So I'm going to go ahead and baptize the way Jesus said to be baptized. What about these gifts of the Holy Ghost? They can be some of the most misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misused elements of Scripture. And at that point in time, I want you to... Baptism of the Holy Ghost for Pentecostals is still an event. Also for, for apostolics, it's an event. Something that has to happen. And then you have to manifest speaking in tongues in order to confirm to everybody in the congregation that you've received the Holy Ghost. That's not what Scripture says. Speaking in tongues is not the litmus test for you to prove or show that you are changed, that you are a son of God the Father by and through the shedding of the blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. We go ahead and we see that speaking in tongues or baptism of the Holy Spirit at that point in time is manifest in other things. When you read into Paul, you're going to find out that he even says, I know not all of you, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, I know not all of you speak in tongues as much as I do. But when it, when it comes down to preaching, I'd rather you speak in words understood, in other words, prophesy, than speak in tongues. Because the same thing will happen if you're, if you're speaking in tongues and you have somebody that's unlearned into what speaking in tongues is, they're going to think you're nuts. And Scripture recognizes that. That's the reason why whenever you have a service and you have somebody speaking in tongues, you have somebody interpreting. Somebody else, else, not you, somebody else, interprets the speaking in tongues, and you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to find that. The, uh, so even Paul recognized that in the church of that time, people were misusing baptism of the Holy Ghost. I remember when I was working at the Adjutant General's Department and I was uh, Assistant Military Personnel Officer for the state, that I had a young sergeant come in and she said, can I talk to you, you know, Major? And I said, sure. So she sat down and she told me about an event that she had had the previous night. It was Wednesday night, mid-church services. She went to church. She felt the need to go. So at that point in time, they were speaking about speaking in tongues, baptism of the Holy Ghost, bad evidences that you have it. Without being able to do that, you don't have it. 
And she came down. She had personal problems that she was bringing to the Lord. And she went down to the altar. Well, and then about three ministers come on top of her and push and push and push. Oh, you, you almost got it. You almost got it. And she says, Major, I just made some kind of sound so they'd leave me alone. <laughs> did I do something wrong? I said, no, I don't think you did anything wrong. Under the circumstances, I think God understands it. But they're using it as a litmus test, and that's not what baptism of the Holy Ghost is all about. Baptism of the Holy Ghost is to give you the tools necessary to do the job that God has given you to accomplish. And each and every one of us in here has a job to do. You are all part of God's plan. So what gifts has he, does He give us? Well, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 11. We learn that we have the word of wisdom. We learn that we have the word of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy. And by prophecy, they mean preaching. Preaching is a form of prophecy. I can, I can uncategorically tell you a prophecy that's true in accordance with the Word of God, and that is anyone who has not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is destined for an eternity in hell. That's a prophecy. But it's absolutely 100% true because it's right in line with what the Bible says. Jesus said that. I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, believest thou this? And it takes a simple yes or no. If you say yes, well, at that point in time, you have salvation. If you said it from the heart. If you say no then you don't have salvation. And some people would be cagey and say, i got plenty of time. I'll wait for tomorrow. Jesus was very, very clear. If you are not with me, you are against me. A decision to delay is a decision to be, not be saved. Not to have eternal life. It took me a long time to get comfortable with this eternal security thing. But it was what Jesus said to Mary and Martha, and that's, that's what I was quoting here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. Believest thou this? It's a simple yes and no question, answer to a question. And I accepted yes. Now, the sign of baptism of the Holy Spirit, and here's what I was getting to. The sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not your ability to speak in tongues. It's are you changed? Are you doing the same things you used to do? Are you saying the same things you used to say? Are you less engaged in church than you used to be, or are you more engaged in church than you used to be? Are you working along with God's plan as best you can, so that the church can grow. It's too hard. I don't know Scripture. 
I'll fall down flat on my face. Stop, fall down flat on your face, guess what? Jesus is there to pick you up. It's called humbling yourself. So we have, additionally, you have faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, test them, diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. That's always the sticky one. They take the one that even Paul said was not essential, and they try to make a litmus test out of it. Sounds Sounds like our people in Washington, D.C., who tried to take something insignificant and make a litmus test out of it. But at, at this point in time, what will they do for me? Well, they all have a purpose. The word of wisdom. Before I started to preach, I ran away from it for about six months, six to nine months. And... Because there was a, there's a line in Revelation that says, don't change one, paraphrasing, don't change one jot or one tittle, one word, or all of the plagues of this book are going to be put on you. I'm sitting there saying, man, there's no way. I take three steps, I'll step on myself. But Jesus also said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And not only that, he said, don't worry about what you're going to say. When the time comes and you have the need, I'll be there with you and I'll let you know through the Holy Ghost what you're going to say. My wife can tell you I have been working on this message for weeks and every time I would wake up, I had a different approach. So basically, I went to my friend, the Holy Spirit, and I asked him to give me the courage and the words to be able to deliver what it is that he wanted me to deliver, not what I wanted to deliver. So basically, a word of wisdom. He's going to give you the knowledge that you need in order to do what he has called you to do. He never leaves you unprepared. Never. And the word of knowledge, again, ties in with wisdom. He gives you all the information, but it takes wisdom to take the information and maneuver it around and get it to come from here out of here in accordance with here in order to be able to talk to people. So you've got knowledge and wisdom under the purview of the Holy Ghost, and He's willing to give you those as gifts well, how do I get these gifts? Peter tells you in, in uh, chapter 1 of Acts, or chapter 2 of Acts, ask for them. You don't receive salvation unless you ask for it. It's a free gift. It's there. It's got your name on it. It's like a Christmas present. It's underneath the Christmas tree. Big, beautiful bow. Wonderful wrapping paper. It's got a tag on there. Your name's on that tag. Gee, James Chubb. It's mine. But the only way I'm going to go ahead and be able to take advantage of it is if I pick it up, rip off the bow, tear the, the lining apart, and receive what he has given me.
If I don't do that, yeah, I have it. It was bought and paid for. It's for me. It's free of charge. But I haven't accepted it. I haven't taken possession of it. Same gifts of the Holy Ghost. You need to ask for them. Don't expect to receive what you're asking for if it's not in accordance with God's plan. Okay? Faith. That's faith over and above. He gives us the faith, the ability to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's part of that faith. But also faith to do, to do things beyond once we become saved. To be able to have the faith to know that we can take a step forward and Jesus Christ is going to be right there with us. He's not going to leave us out without having support. And the other comforter that he was sending is the Holy Ghost. How important are you now that you have the Holy Ghost? You're the most important person in this church with you having the Holy Ghost having accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because the only way that we can have a Spirit-filled service in this house of God is by all of the tabernacles of the Holy Ghost getting themselves in one place, in one mind, and in one accord. And at that point in time, you can blow the roof off this church with the power and the faith that we have in the Holy Ghost in our praising God the Father and Jesus Christ. But it's up to us You know, I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I didn't feel any spirit in that service. Look inside. Look inside. The Holy Spirit is here because you brought Him. If you didn't feel the Holy Spirit when you came here, you got to disconnect. There's a wire misconnected somewhere here. We have to humble ourselves. Pray to God about it. He's not going to turn away. He's going to accept everything that you say. Faith, healings. If you go ahead and get on a little bit later in chapter 2, you're going to see they healed. Everybody that came to there that needed healing that day was healed. Everybody who came to them for healing was healed. They received the gift of healings. Prophecy. Again, I look at, uh, or miracles, I'm sorry. Miracles. Well, we know they had the ability to, to help uh, with miracles. I mean, uh, you read a little bit longer forward in Acts, and you'll find the fact that Peter was going up the steps to the temple, and his shadow fell upon somebody who was sick. And guess what? They weren't sick anymore. That was power through God provided by faith of Peter in the power of God. So we go ahead and we look at prophecy. Again, another word for prophecy is preaching. That's a synonym. Discerning of spirits. If you feel that the Holy Spirit is talking to you, get this out. Nothing that you're being told to do can be contrary to this book. 
This is our user, Salvation Person's User Manual. You know, you get that, that book that you don't pay any attention to when you buy a new car. You better pay attention to this user's manual. It's very important. But you try the spirits. Don't just automatically assume that something that you want to do, God's giving a blessing to it to go ahead without checking Scripture and what you'd asked for and that type of thing. Because I can tell you, you can spin the wheels. Satan can get you to spin the wheels by making... He's a great counterfeiter. He can make a better $20 bill than I can. But he also tries to slip you up. He is a liar, and he's been a liar from all eternity, from this day of his creation. He's not eternal. He was created by God. Diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. We saw that here. When you read Acts 2 closely, there was something very unusual going on there. Peter didn't all of a sudden take a Berlitz course on uh, all of the languages of that area. He was up there speaking in a Galilean dialect. And they even identify that. How come I hear him speaking in my language that I was born in, that the place is 1,500 miles from here, and he's a Galilean? So he was hearing the Galilean dialect physically, but there was something happening internally, something of God going on at that point in time that the Holy Spirit had overshadowed them and they were hearing the Word of God because at that point in time it was within their purview in God's plan of salvation that they should be able to hear and understand what was being said to them so that they could come to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have eternal life. Sorry about the staggering. So we've got different things happening there, but what we're seeing is we see speaking in an unknown tongue. Doesn't necessarily mean every one of the apostles was speaking the same thing. I don't get that. They were all speaking how? As the Spirit gave them utterance. But when we go outside, we see another miracle. Peter's speaking Galilean, and I'm sure so, was, so were the rest of the apostles at that point in time. They're all preaching the same message. They're all unified in what it is that they're going to bring forward because now they're in unity with the power and inspiration of the Holy Ghost and they're moving the church forward from being just them as members into being more members and starting out on the worldwide global initiative of Jesus Christ to establish His church throughout the world. One thing to always remember, according to Scripture, if somebody speaks in tongues, there has to be someone else interpreting. That's what Paul says. 
I've been in a lot of churches where people speak in tongues. And then they come into their natural state and tell us what was said. So it doesn't work that way, not according to the Scripture. Well, you know, in this day and age, <laughs> the gimme, you know, the millennial generation, gimme, 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 gimme. Uh, you might ask, in millennial language, what's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for you. He gives you gifts, and because you accept the gifts and use the gifts, He's going to give you fruit. See, what, what the Holy Ghost is doing is He is establishing for you the same pattern that He has established for me, and that is that when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, John the Baptist said it best, repent and do works meet of repentance. In other words, People should be able to look at what you do and say, you're different. And different in a positive way. You're different. There's something about you. You never seem to get angry. I wish. But you know, I've, I've got a safety. It says, never let the sun go down on your anger. Not wrong to get it. Jesus got angry. Overturned the money changers and, and made a, a whip and drove them out of the temple. He had just reason to have anger because of what they did to his father's house. And he was just trying to set things right. So what are those gifts? Well, we find those in Galatians, or the, the fruits, we find those in Galatians 22 to 23. Love. Now, the love they're talking about is not the love of a man for a woman, but agape love. Unconditional love of God and unconditional willing to do because of that love what He asks you to do when He asks you to do it. Joy. You know, since I've been saved, I've had more joy. Doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. And I know Mana and I banter about each other and that type of thing, but uh, she is genuinely a gift from God in our relationship as far as I'm concerned. She brings me joy. An internal peace. That's what Jesus is talking. That's what God talks about. With joy, it's an internal peace. All of this stuff that we've got going on right now, you can go ahead and you can, you can look in Matthew 24 and bingo, bingo, bingo. It's like a checklist for society today. But one of the things that's in there, Jesus says, don't worry. It all has to happen. I'm just letting you know what's coming. That's something I've hung on to ever since March, is the fact God knew this was coming. God had it planned out. 
If I'm supposed to go with COVID-19, I'm supposed to go with COVID-19. It's going to get me whether I want it to or not. But I'll play the games because it's essential that I play the games. Because Jesus told me I need to be in compliance with civil law. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So I'm going to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but he can't keep me out of my church. Because that comes from God, says so in the Constitution of the United States. Oh, and Pastor MacArthur has won his appeal on having to pay fines out in California. So, I read that last night. So we've got peace. That's in addition to joy. Peace. Again, that's an inner thing. Because you've got good and evil warring all around you. So it's not that peace. It's talking about during that war, you've got peace. During that war, you've got joy because you have peace. Forbearance. What's forbearance? It's uh, patience. Patience. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Glad, goodness. Doing what's right when it needs to be done. That's goodness. Faithfulness. Dependable. You can be dependent upon to be at church on Sunday mornings. I remember back when, when my mother was, uh, time my mother died, the nursing home didn't call my home. home. They, we didn't have cell phones then. But uh, they called the church. It was a Sunday morning. My mother had had a, a cerebral hemorrhage and just had fallen to the floor. And, uh, but they, were, they, they knew on Sundays at 10 o'clock in the morning where I'd be. And they were right. That's dependable. Now, I'm not setting that up as an example of how dependable I am. I'm a human being, and I can stumble and fall, and if I get too much on my own high horse, definitely I'm going to fall. But isn't that essential? When we fall, where are we? We're flat on our face. Will they have to get back up again? What are you on? Your knees. What position should you be in when you pray? On your knees, if you're physically capable of doing it. So at that point in time, you've already been humbled by God. Humble yourself and go ahead and confess and turn from your wicked way. And he is. That's another, that's another surety. It's not he may, he could, he might. Humble yourself, confess your sin, turn from your evil way, and he is just and righteous to forgive you your sin. He wants to, you to keep your salvation as much as you want to keep your salvation, and he's willing to go ahead and give you the fruits of the Spirit necessary in order to prompt you to do that. Isn't that beautiful? You talk about a God who thought of everything. He is omniscient, after all. Gentleness. I've seen great, big, burly guys in church. 
and you'd think, holy mackerel, I'd hate to meet him in a dark alley. And you start talking to him, and he is the gentlest, sweetest, kindest person. You know why? He knows Jesus Christ. He has the Holy Ghost. My spirit ties in with his spirit. We're united together in an eternal bond. But it just goes to illustrate how God can change someone. Someone who is ominous in their appearance is gentle in their conduct. Self-control. That comes from the Holy Ghost. You need self-control to fight off the devil. Because he's always there trying to tempt you. Remember, he tempted Christ in the desert after Christ hadn't eaten or drunk anything for 40 days. And when he left, it says, and he left for a season. Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, Peter tells us. And in every natural film that I've seen where you've got lions on the prowl, they don't make a sound while they're on the prowl. They just kind of softly go foot by foot by foot. And then, gotcha! And that's when they roar. When they have their victory. If you don't hear it coming, you're being stalked. Be aware of the fact Satan is looking for your weaknesses to probe those so that he can take advantage of them. The Holy Ghost has already given you the self-control necessary to thwart his efforts. Jesus even said, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, believing he'll give it to you. Scripture tells us that the, at the name of Jesus, Satan must, not should, not could, not can, must flee. You have more control over Satan than Satan has over you. How? Through the Holy Ghost. Where Jesus gave him to you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've never spoken in tongues. And I never will unless I'm moved by the Spirit, just like Scripture says to. But if I do, it'll be as much a surprise to you as it is to me. If we can come together, and we actually come together as a congregation before we get here, but if we can pray and come in here and be prayed up, and when we come into the door, we're going to be what's called fitly framed together. Okay? We're not going to be separate fingers on two hands and a, and a couple of thumbs. We're going to be two hands joined and interlocked together in worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But you have to be prayed up for it. 
They were in the upper room. I am convinced in my mind that from the time Jesus was ascended into heaven until the time the Pentecost happened, those ten days, that during that period of time they were in a continual state of prayer. They were in anticipation of receiving the other counselor, whomever that was. They didn't fully understand. But they had made themselves worthy vessels to receive the power infusion from God through His Holy Spirit to be able to move the church forward. If we will do the same thing, we will be infused with power and abilities to be able to move God's church further than it is today. So that it won't be the same church tomorrow that we had today. It will be a better church, a stronger church, more people coming to know the Lord through our ministry as a result of being willing to accept the influence of Almighty God in our hearts. Chapter 2, verse 38. How do you get this? Ask. Ask. Leave it up to God to determine what you need. Talk to Him. There are times I sit down in my chair at home and I've, I've got Scripture. See, that's the way God talks to us. I've got Scripture, and I'll be talking to God, just like I'm talking to you right now. I'll tell Him what's happening to me. Tell Him all about our troubles. That's what you're supposed to do. Why? He said so. And if I love Him, I keep His commandments. Okay. And He's really a good guy to talk to. And then at that point in time, He may answer you back. It may not be, I mean, there have been times in my life I heard a voice. And I don't know where it came from, but it was what I needed to hear at that particular moment. And once I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I kind of figured, well, yeah, I can see God, the hand, I can see the hand of God in, in everything that happened up to this point. And I'm sure that He's going to be there from this point on. One of the things that we need to do in order to have this is to, is to renew our minds daily, as it says in Romans uh, 12.2. How do we renew our minds daily? Get in here. That's the Word of God. And pray. Open yourself up to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up to what God has in store for you. And the most important thing that we can do is not quench the Spirit. How do I quench the Spirit? You quench the Spirit every time you ignore the Holy Ghost. You quench the Spirit every time you decide to do something other than what you know is the right thing to do. I liken it for a, for a simile, I like it to a lamp. You know those oil lamps? You go ahead and when you receive the Holy Ghost, it's like your brand new oil lamp. You've got a clean globe. You've gone ahead and you've got nice, a, a nice amount of oil in there. 
and you've got a nice wick and it's fully trimmed and it is putting off the maximum light it can. Every time you quench the spirit, you back, the, you know, the, you ever felt those clicks when you, you know, you back it off a click? Not enough for you even to see that it's perceptible. Quench him again, click. Quench him again, click. Quench him again, click. So eventually you get down to the point that you see that thin little red-orange glow on the top of the wick, and then it goes In Genesis 6, verse 3, God says, My spirit will not always strive with man. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's not going to withdraw the Holy Ghost out of you. That's, that's one of the things that you're going to carry. But at that point in time, you have to be willing to use Him. And if you find yourself wondering, why isn't God talking to me? It's time to get on your knees and pray. It's time to do introspection. It's time to do what 2 Chronicles 7.14 says to do. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. What does that mean? It means get serious with God. That's what it means. Too often we play with God. We don't get serious with God. We try to make bargains with God. You don't make bargains with the, with the supreme creator of the universe. It's his plan. You can try and make a bargain, but his plan's going to win out. So why not just accept that? So we have intense prayer. Turn from your evil ways. And he said, I will hear from heaven. You humble yourself and talk to your God and He has promised you, you've got an audience of one listening. And that's the most important one to listen to you. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin. I will heal your land. That's the reason why yesterday was so important to this nation, and I hope that the people of this nation take it to heart and really hold on to that verse because it is a promise from Almighty God. So as we go from here today, let us remember that the Holy Ghost indwells each and every one of us. Let us remember that He has powers and abilities to help us do our job. Let us not quench the Spirit in the way we live our lives, but let's repent and do works made of repentance. Thank you for your attention this morning.